So today we're going to learn about the story of the Navi of Zechariah. And this story is kind of a very intense story. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I guess it's appropriate for the time of year. <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's a story that's not well known, all the details, the background, the context, and the, the application of it. This series, Amir Tashem, I do hope to each, with e- each installment of the series, to address a story in Tanakh or, a, or a, pers- a personality in Tanakh. And I found myself when I learned Tanakh that inevitably, when it works out that the thing I'm learning has a relationship to the time of year, it gives so much more depth and context. To, to that time of year when we understand our own history. <laughs> you know, the own stories, the, the stories that happened to our people back then and have such a ramification on the way we do things, the way we keep mitzvahs, more than we realize. So I thought this would be a, a great way to start this kind of, <clears throat> this, this, this topic. The Zechariah that we're going to be talking about is not the Navi Zechariah in Trey Asar. There's a Navi Zechariah in Trey Asar. There's of the last three Nevi'im. He was the final three Nevi'im of Klai Yisrael, Chagah, Zechariah, Malachi. That Zechariah HaNavi went to Galos Babel and came up from Galos Babel. This Navi Zechariah doesn't have a sefer dedicated to his name. He lived actually midway through the first Beis HaMikdash. And he was Zechariah ben Yehayada HaKayim. So let's start. The first thing on the sheet over here is one of the kinnis of Tisha B'av. So this is really a this is really a Gemara. It's a Gemara and a Medrash. It's kind of a famous Gemara, but there's a whole kinna de- dedicated to it. So I'm not I don't have the whole kinna over here. I just selected parts of it. So Yom Achbi Hichvarati Vayichbulu Avaini, the day of anger against me was Hichvarati was it was so difficult Vayichbulu Avaini and my averus got doubled. Vasholchi Yadu Bedam Navi when I sent my hand and adult, the life of a Navi, Ivo al Mikdash Hashem, when he came to the Mikdash Hashem. Which means that a Navi, who is, this was the Navi Zachari, got killed when he came to the Beis HaMikdash. His blood was not covered by the earth until the sword of my enemy came, and it didn't stop bubbling, until Nakama, until revenge was taken for the blood of the Navi Zachari. It was bubbling and bubbling. Ad boy rab tabachim until the rab tabachim. This is Nevuzrad and Harasha. Nevuzrad and Harasha was the chief general of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was called Rab Tabachim, which means the chief of the executioners, which is what exactly what he did. He would be like the the the, the modern day equivalent, the that day equivalent of Eichmann, the one who actually carried out the decree of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sat on his throne. He was on the ground actually murdering people. So he found in the base of Mikdash this blood that was bubbling. And he asked about it. The Kehanim, that were the people in charge of Shechtin Karbanis. So they tried to, to trick him. This was the blood of Karban Zvachim that had been slaughtered that day. So he wasn't fooled. So he tried to compare with Shechting. He killed an ox. And he saw the blood didn't compare. Dam elim, he he shechted sheep. Vedam mechim, female sheep, male sheep. Vigam zavchus zavchar zavchrav. He killed all kinds of animals. Lachkar mahaya. What is this? And he saw it's not the same kind of blood. This is human blood. 
So he finally forced them to answer, tell him what it was, and they told him it was the blood of Zechariah. I see that his blood is being, HaKadosh Baruch was demanding that revenge be taken for the fact that he was killed. So then the, 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 the Kina goes on and the Gemara goes on how many people he killed. He killed thousands of people to try to get the blood to stop. The numbers are so tremendous that we wonder if it's a guzma or if it's literal, but 80,000. 90,000, 100,000 people were killed to try to get this blood to stop. They ain't shekel the dam navi, and it wasn't stopping. It was a miracle. And I say to myself, this is the, this is the effect of an avera. They continued to kill people. It didn't stop. And then Israel finally turned up his eyes and he said, This is not enough for all the people who live in Yerushalayim. Do you want me to slaughter every last Jew that we have in captivity? And then the blood stopped. That's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says a little addition, which is not in the Kina. The Gemara says, Then Yerushalayim thought to himself, If because of one person, so many people had to die to atone for his death, what's going to be with me? I just killed hundreds of thousands of people. And he did tshuva, and he became a ger. And from his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, were either Shemayim and Avtalian, two famous Talmud Chachamim, different opinions in the Gemara exactly, who was from his, his, his lineage, his legacy. And you should stop a minute and think about that, that this was the person who was as cruel or crueler than, than Eichmann, than, than the worst Nazis we know. He killed them with his bare hands. And he, didn't, he didn't send them off, you know, to... It, it, was, it was real hands-on slaughter. And this person was the one that did tshuva and became a ger. It's, it's, a, it, it's just a mind-blowing thing. It was very difficult for us to swallow something like that. But the more... The stranger part about this is a number of things. Was it didn't stop with all the people that got killed, until he made this statement, HaKadosh Baruch do you want me to kill everybody? And then it stopped. And that's hard to understand. Why His statement was what caused it to stop, meaning to say at that point it was that the case was settled. When he made his statement, it was Radin, Harash, of all people, though, that needs to be understood. But well, let's understand the story, and then we'll see how amazing, or how you know, scary this is, I guess, and how, how hard to understand the whole story is. Zechariah Navi, when did he live? Zechariah Navi, if you look at the at the next uh, thing here, he was in the time of the Melech Yayash. Yayash was a king who actually killed him. And look how many years there was between Yayash and the Harbin of the Beis Hamikdash. These were the kings that came after Yayash. Yayash was forty years. Now it seemed to have happened in the last year of four, of Yayash's reign. That's when he killed Zechariah, or maybe the last two years. That's when it seemed to happen. After him was Amatzia, 29 years. Uziah, 52 years. Yoisam, 16 years. Ochaz, 16 years. Chizkiyoh, Amalek, 29 years. Menasha, 55 years. Amain, 2 years. Yeshio, 31 years. Yehayachaz, 3 years. Yehayakam, 11 years. Yehayachim, 3 years. Tzidkiyoh, 11 years. The total is 298 years. So if we subtract 40, 258 years. There was 250 years from when the Navi Zechari was killed till the Kharbim of the Beis HaMikdash. And people 250 years later were being held responsible for him getting killed 250 years earlier. 
it's like it's two, 250 years ago, it's a long time ago. 250 years ago, for Amara time, is like when the Vilna Gaon lived, when the Baal Shem Tov lived. What connection do we have to those people? <laughs> we don't. But how could we possibly be held responsible for what they did then? <clears throat> so let's learn the story. Let's see what happened over here. The story, strangely enough, in Malachim itself, is just hinted at, and it's not spelled out. Let's take a look at the next piece. The Yasser Divra Yoyash, the rest of what Yoyash did, Vichalasher also, Haloyheim Ksuvim al Sefer Divra Hayamim, it's all written in Sefer Divra Hayamim, Lamach Yehuda. And it just says how he died. His servants got up, and they, they made a rebellion. They killed Yoyash in uh, this house that he had, based Milai. They give the, the Pasik actually names who they were. They were his servants. They killed him, and he died. And he was buried with his, his family. This is all the Pasik says in Malachim. So it says he was killed, and he was killed by his servants. This is a very unusual thing. That's a very unusual thing. Killing a king was a very unpopular thing to do. Even when the king was your enemy, it was, it was just something that wasn't done, like Agag. Shal, Shal didn't kill Agag, Malach Amalek. He called, killed everybody in Amalek. He didn't kill Agag. It was a thing. He didn't kill a king. It was, it was considered... There's a lot of different explanations for it. But if you, if you read a little bit of history, you can get some understanding, just a sim- simple understanding of it, that a king represented something. It represented a whole nation. It was a huge thing to kill a king. You were, you were, you were taking out a lineage. You were, you, were, you, you, you were like affecting a whole nation. It was a huge thing. It wasn't done. It's very rare that a king got killed, even by his enemies. They took them into captivity, but they didn't kill them. And no explanation is given why his servants killed him. Why would his servants kill him? No explanation is given. So we'll go to Dibri Hayamim. And we see a little bit of what the story was. But before that, there's a l- <coughs> just the next piece of Malachim says what happened next. His son took over. In the second year of Yoyash, uh, ben it always gets confusing in Malachim that there were kings of Yisrael and kings of Yehuda, and they had the same name often. <laughs> it gets confusing. You have to keep you know track who's who. Anyway, so they had the same name. But this is Amatia, the son of Yoyash Melch Yehuda. Ben He is twenty-five years old when he took the throne. and he he ruled for twenty-nine years. His mother's name was Yehayadan from Yerushalayim. It always says the name of the mother of the king because there were multiple wives and they had many different sons. So it identifies where he was from. He did what was right in the eyes of Hashem. He didn't do as, he wasn't as big a tzaddik as David HaMelech. It was just under David HaMelech. So this is pretty good. And all that his father, Yoyesh, did, he did. So that sounds like Yoyesh was pretty good. That's pretty good. It's the, the, the king that got killed. When he got established in his, in his, uh, his reign, he put his, the servants that killed his father, he put them to death. But he didn't kill their children. As it says in the Torah, we don't punish children for the sins of their father, and we don't punish fathers for the sins of their children. The person who does the sin, he is the one who gets killed. So the people who killed his father obviously did it in front of witnesses. 
because it seems like he went through process. He gave them due process. He put them through the legal system. So he took these servants who had killed his father, he put them through the legal system, he gave them the death penalty, which is what they deserved, and they didn't punish anybody else. They didn't try to wipe out their whole lineage, which one which is kind of typical procedure, <laughs> especially in those days, you know, if you kill the king, everybody, the whole family should get wiped out, and, and their, 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 all their possessions should get appropriated by the, the Malthus. He didn't do that. He just killed the people that killed his father, and that was it. It was a tzitkus. Now let's see, what was the story over here? What actually happened? So let's go to Dibra Hayyaman, the last, the last <coughs> um, paragraph here. So before we start Dibra Hayyaman, I have to give a little context, and then we'll understand the whole story a lot better. Yoyesh was a fascinating individual, this King Yoyesh, the king that got killed. His history was as follows. His father was the, had married the daughter or the sister, I'm correctly, the sister of Achav Melech Yisrael. Achav Melech Yisrael was a Ayvad of Edizar, a very famous Ayvad of Edizar. He caused most of Klal Yisrael who lived in the Yisrael part of Eretz, of, of, of Eretz Yisrael to be Ayvad of Edizar more than they had ever had before. His sister married the Melech Yehudah. This was not an uncommon thing because these were two kings reigning over the same land and they had treaties, they had agreements, they had deals, so they would marry one to another. But she was a rich a, a big Rishanta. He died. He was actually killed. He was killed by a whole different story in Tanakh, how he was killed, but he was killed. At that point, she decided she's going to take over the kingdom. She poisoned all his children. Sounds like fiction, but this, this actually happened. She poisoned all his children. She poisoned every last um, survive, that she could get her hands on surviving of the lineage of David HaMelech. She would have totally wiped out David HaMelech's line, the whole dynasty, wiped out. She tried to poison all of them. And she was successful. All of them died, except for one Yoyash. Yoyash was a child. He was a baby. And his sister took him and delivered him to Yehoyada HaKayin. Yehoyada was the Kayin Gadol. She snuck him out. Meanwhile, the, this woman, whose name was Asalia, she took over the kingdom, and she ruled, the only queen to rule in Klaistral's history. She ruled for three years. During that time, she, uh, Yehayada Akain took, um, took this child, Yayash, and he put him in the attic of the Kodesh HaKadashim, which means that the Beis HaMikdash was two floors, and there was an attic above each floor, and there was an attic above the Kodesh HaKadashim. The attic above the Kodesh HaKadashim was a very holy place, but it didn't have the status of a Kodesh HaKadashim. And the purpose of it was that they used it to make repairs. That's how they went into the Kodesh HaKadashim when they wanted to make repairs on the Kodesh HaKadashim. They didn't want to walk through the Beis HaMikdash, they wanted to do it as, le- as least as intrusive as possible. So he was there, and the reason why he was there, because no one would go there. <laughs> Who would go to the attic of the Kodesh HaKadashim? It was off limits. So he was there, and he raised him there. Yehoyad HaKain raised him, he raised him as his own son. And then eventually, when Yoyash was six or seven, I remember exactly, or maybe eight, um, Yehoyada planned to, give, to return the kingdom back to him because the, the nation at large wasn't happy with the fact that there was Asalia ruling over them, and she wasn't even from the Davidic dynasty, where she was from the Malchi Yisrael, Achav's sister or daughter or whatever. So he organized a rebellion, and single-handedly he caused her to get overthrown, she was put to death, and Yayash was put onto the throne. He continued to guide Yayash throughout his whole career, 
throughout his whole life. He continued to guide him, and they accomplished tremendous things. They renovated the whole Beis HaMikdash. There's all things that are talked about in Tanakh. We lay in it, Pashish Kalam, how they together worked and uh, renovated the Beis HaMikdash, and they fixed all everything that needed to be fixed over the many years that the Beis HaMikdash had st- stood. But then, Yehayada HaKayin died. So his father, his mentor, the person who had raised him, saved his life, risked his own life, put him, gave him his throne. That person, he passed away. It was old man, he passed away. After he passed away, that's when we pick up the story here in the Rehayamim. After Yehayada passed away, the noblemen of Yehuda, they came, and they bowed down to the king. They made him into a god. He didn't have his mentor with him anymore. And he listened to them. Why did they make him into a god? They said, the Kayin God goes into the Kaidish HaGadashim once a year. Excuse me, every time he goes in, we daven and pray he should come out alive. Go into the Kaidish HaGadashim on Yom Kippur, who could come out alive? And you, you survived there for years. And they looked at it as the same thing. The roof the, above the Kaidish HaGadashim was there for years. If you're, able, if you're so holy, you're on, you have godlike status. They didn't say he's God, like a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but you have godlike powers. And which was the, the, the mistake that Avodah Zarah was, that the assumption was, if someone is so godly, so spiritual, so powerful, you can serve that person and kind of get around serving, doing what Hashem wants and just serve that person. He can, he can give you whatever you need. He can give you whatever blessing or whatever bracha, whatever hashba you need. So they served him and he listened to them. And once they started with this Avedizar, they stopped serving a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the Beis HaMikdash, and they served Asherim, those were Avedizar trees, at Tzabim were idols. And there was a great anger on Yehuda and Yerushalayim when they did this Avedizar. And Hashem sent Nevi'im to ask, to, to, to ask, demand that they do tshuva. And they warned them, they didn't listen. And then the Ruach Aleikim, the Nevuah from Hashem, clothed Zechariah, the son of Yehayadakayim. So this is the son of Yehayadakayim. Zechariah was the son of Yehayada. Yehayada the one who had saved his life, who had raised him, who had returned the kingdom to him, and was his mentor his whole life. This was Zechariah. Now Zechariah wasn't only Yehayada's son, but Zechariah was also Yehayash's son-in-law. Zechariah had married Yahesh's daughter. Baruch Alakim Lavshe Zechariah ben Yayada Akayim, and he was also Kayin Gadol. And this day, Chazal say, was Yom Kippur. It was Yom Kippur. Baruch Alakim Lavshe Zechariah, because the king was coming to the Yom Kippur service. He was coming to the Beis HaMikdash to participate in the Yom Kippur service. Vayamad Me'al La'am, and he stood above the whole nation, he stood on a platform, Vayam Lahem, and he said to them, Kay Amar Alakim, this is what Hashem has said, Lama Atam Ayver Mitzvah Hashem, why are you. Why are you being over Hashem's commandments? You won't be successful. You have abandoned Hashem. He will abandon you. Chazal add that he told Yoyosh, you can't enter. You're an Avadizar. You're causing a michshel to Kal Yisrael. You're, you're causing them to sin. You can't enter the base of Mikdash. So he commanded that his servants to attack Zechariah. They started throwing stones at him with the command of the king in the Beis HaMikdash. So it was the Kayin Gadol. It was in the Beis HaMikdash. It was Anim Kippur. And they killed him. 
Veloy Zohar Yoyash Hamelach Hachesir Asher Asa Yehoyad Abav. And Yoyash Hamelach didn't remember the kindness that the father of Zechariah did. Yehoyad, his father, Imoi, by Yaragas Benoy, and he killed his son. Ukumoisei Omar, and this kind of thing, Hashem says, Yehre Hashem Yiddish, this is something Hashem won't forget. It wasn't the fact just alone that someone was killed. It was the depth of the betrayal that went on over here. That's, that was huge. There was a tremendous betrayal over here. The person that had raised him, the person that had saved his life, the person that had instituted him back into his kingdom at the risk of his own life, the person that had been his mentor his whole life, and he killed his son. And next year, he was attacked by the army of Aram. And they were successful in war. They killed all the noblemen. And they, they, they looted the whole city and sent it to their king in Damasek. And they really, they didn't have a good chance of winning this war. They came with very few people, this army of Aram. And Hashem caused them to have an unprecedented victory. He gave them the, a victory over the army of Klai Yisrael, that was a tremendous army. Because they had abandoned Hashem. And they captured Yoyash, and they, they um, tortured him. They tortured him. But they didn't kill him, once again. When he escaped from them, they left him with many injuries. His servants then um, rebelled. Why? Because they saw what was going on here. They realized that the reason why he, why the Kali Yisrael suffered such a tremendous loss, such a miraculous loss, was because of this sin, that he had killed the son of Yehoyad HaKain. So they took it in their own hands, that we have to take revenge. That's the only way Kal Yisrael will be forgiven. They killed him on his bed. And he died. And he was buried in Ir David. But they humiliated him. They didn't bury him in the same typical place where they would bury all the other kings. These are the people that attacked him. And this is important, that they were the children. They were Gerim, and uh, they were from Amon and Moab. And Harashi says Amon and Moab were the two nations that were descended from Light. And they were, categ- they were categorized as those who epitomized Kafoi Taiva. Not, 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 not recognizing when you owe something to someone because Avram Avinu saved Light's life and yet Amon and Moab would go and attack Klai Yisrael on their way from Mitzrayim. So they were Kafuya Taiva. So it was, it was appropriate that people from that nation should kill him, should demonstrate to everybody what's really going on here. Uvonov, Yerev Hamasa, Olav, Yisabeskim. Okay, that's it. So that's, now we have the whole story with the context. So the story with the context was that Zechariah ben Yehoyad HaKain was killed. He was a Kain Gadol. It was on. He was a Navi. It was on Yom Kippur. He was killed by Yoyash, Yoyash, who owed so much to him, and he was just saying over the Nevuah from Hashem. He wasn't attacking him personally. He was saying what Hashem gave, gave him a Nevuah to say, and he was he was demanding he do tshuva for something everybody knew was wrong. He was making himself into an idol. And Yoyesh demanded that he be killed. And then no one took action except for these two servants, Ba'aminus and Ma'avis. No one else took action. And from what it seems is that Claudius stood by. 
or even participated. So that's the story. 250 years later, Claudius Roll has struck a tremendous, tremendous punishment for this. Hundreds of thousands of people are killed to try to atone for this. And then it only stops when the Buzradna Russia says, Hashem, do you want me to kill everybody? So here's, here's a thought. I saw it. Um, this is a combination of a few thoughts, but the, 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 this is the idea. There's a, a mashal, which I'm going to say, it's a very famous mashal, Shem Shem Pinkus talks about it. And then there's a, a, an approach to this, which is taken by Rechazka Levenstein, Mishkiach of Mir. We have the Harbin Beis HaMikdash, who destroyed the Beis HaMikdash, we know. And there's a mashal given, very famous mashal given, why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. The mashal is, you might have heard this before, that there was a painter that made this beautiful painting, beautiful landscape, and it was the, it, it was his, 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 uh, Magnum opus. Uh, it was the, the achievement of his career. He had spent years and years and years developing this payment, painting, and he had it right in front of the landscape. And he invited his wife and a number of people to come and admire the painting, the landscape, to see what he had accomplished. And it was on a hilltop, and it overlooked a huge panorama, beautiful, beautiful scenery. They all came to watch and to study the painting, and they were all floored. They were all, it was a beautiful, beautiful painting, an amazing job. Truly a, a, a tribute to his career. And his wife was looking at it, and she took a step back to, to see it better, another step back, and another step back, and she was totally engrossed in this painting. And then someone noticed that she was stepping back, stepping back, she was about to fall off the cliff. She was two steps away from falling off the cliff. And they yelled at her, but she was so focused, so engrossed, she just didn't notice it. And she took another step back, and she was about to step off the cliff. The painter went, took his own painting, and destroyed it. And then she just, she, she, was, she was stunned, and she stopped, and then she realized where she was. So she stepped back. And the marshal was that the Beis HaMikdash HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw was causing Kal Yisrael to fall off the cliff, which means Kal Yisrael would do an Avera, they would do one Avera after another Avera, and then they would say, okay, we'll just go to the Beis HaMikdash and bring a carbon, and then we'll be forgiven. And he saw that the Beis HaMikdash was causing them to not really do tshuva, not really take stock of what they're doing, take stock of themselves, and they were getting further and further away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And to the point where the only way to stop them from falling off the cliff was to destroy the base of Mekdash, to destroy the painting. That's the Masha. Now, when you hear a Masha like this, we have to understand what this really means. Hashem didn't just destroy the base of Mekdash. Hundreds and thousands, millions of Jews were killed in the process of destroying the base of Mekdash. The destruction of the base of Mekdash is just a Masha for what Kalashal suffered throughout the ages. All the the Holocausts and the Inquisitions and all those kinds of suffering and pain that Kali Yisrael suffered. So we have to understand it in context. It's not just he destroyed the painting. People got destroyed. People lost their lives. There was a tremendous amount of suffering. What exactly does this marshal mean? So the the, the The biggest challenge, truthfully, that every person has in Amuna is the question of good versus bad. We perceive the evil in the world, we perceive the good in the world, and it doesn't seem to add up. We don't understand how it is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu could do so much, allow so much evil to happen. It doesn't make sense to us. How many people could suffer like this? How could such terrible things happen? And 
largely it challenges our Muna for a number of obvious number of obvious reasons. But I, what I was realizing is that a large part of it is that we don't understand how good the good is, meaning whatever good we have on this world, like the Mesilas Sharm says, is is Hebelvashavnis and nothing nothing is really good on this world. The best life we can possibly have, the most enjoyable life we can possibly have, he says is really nothing. The real good that we're destined to, which is the closeness that we'll enjoy Takadish Barhu, is in Ilam Haba. Either in Ilam and Ashamas, after a person passes away, after Tchiyas Amesim, when we come back to this world and we get revived with our Nishamas, with our Guf, that is when we'll truly enjoy what is good. And what is good means being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says that, there is nothing that can compare to that. We don't have even a way to understand how good that is. And that's a large part of what's so difficult, which means we see how bad bad is. And we take what's the worst of the worst and we compare it against the best of the best in this world and it doesn't add up. Which means is there's nothing that can justify things being that bad because even when they're good, it doesn't wipe out how bad the bad is. People that went through the Holocaust, they suffered their whole life from it. And as good as their life came out afterwards, they moved on, they achieved, it didn't wipe out the bad. Because bad is very, very bad. And the truth is because it can't. Because the only good that justifies it is the good of lost and love, the good that's, that we don't perceive, the good that we, we believe in. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to destroy the painting to save our connection to him, the, the basis of understanding what's going on is understanding how good the good is. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is only good. And anything he does for us is only for our good. That's, a per- that's what he created the world. He didn't create the world to, uh, to punish anybody. He didn't create the world to hurt anybody. He is only to benefit us. Only to benefit us. That was the whole purpose. And then that means by definition that the good is so good. The good is so good that were we to understand that we would justify all the bad that has to, we have to go through to be able to enjoy that good. HaKadosh Baruch has to destroy the Beis HaMikshah to preserve our relationship with him, which means destroying the Beis HaMikshah doesn't just mean destroying the Beis HaMikshah. It means all these thousands of people dying, which was necessary for all of Kal Yisrael to come to their senses and to realize we have to reestablish our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch is because that relationship is so, so, so good. It overwhelms all that. It makes it worthwhile and makes it justified. It was, the Reb Chatzka Levenstein explains that the blood of Zechariah was bubbling. It was bubbling and it was bubbling. And he killed hundreds of thousands of people. And then he came to the recognition. He says, wow, one person getting killed justifies all these people getting killed to atone for it. That's how bad an Avera is. That's how terrible it is. And Hashem says, someone finally got it. Someone finally got the message. And it doesn't make a difference that it was Nevuzradin. Someone got the message and it stopped bubbling. No one was getting the message. No one was getting the point that that's how bad it is in Avera. That's how far it takes you away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That it's necessary for all this destruction to come about, to atone for it. And Nevuzradin realized that. And when he came to that recognition, then the point was made then the knowledge was there, and we all know it now. They taught it to all of us. It doesn't make a difference who, made the, who got the point, as long as the point was made, and we came to that recognition. And again, the point here is that it's worthwhile to atone for a chet, to atone 
to bring us back closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so much greater than that, so much better than that. So the purpose of this happening during the time of the Harp Mesa Mikdash is because otherwise Kali Yisrael didn't have, they didn't have perspective. They didn't justify the destruction of it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted them to realize that you yourself will say this was the right thing. You yourselves have to come to that recognition this is the right, Hashem did the right thing. He destroyed the Mesa Mikdash, it was the right thing to do. It was the best thing for us. And they only came to that recognition when it was Radin pointed it out to them. And then he himself did tshuva. And that itself also was a tremendous lesson. Rabbi Rucham speaks about this and he says that this demonstrates that no one is truly a Russia, even a person as bad as there was Radin. Even the Hitler and Eichmann, no one is truly a Russia. Any person can turn himself around. Which was also a message to Claudius Israel. Even someone that bad. <clears throat> so the, the, the point of this whole story, and why we remember it, and why it lasted for so many, so many years, was because Claudius Israel had not appreciated the full extent of that truth. That the greatness, the importance of Kiruv Lashem is so tremendous and so overwhelmingly good. It's so much the purpose of why we exist that all this kind of destruction is justified to bring us back to that, to, to bring us to our senses, that we don't fall off the cliff and lose it forever. And they came to their recognition and it stopped bleeding. It stopped bubbling. And that, that, was, that was what happened over here. And it's the beginning and it's largely, you see, the beginning kinnis of the kinnis of Tisha B'av are about accepting what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did. The first step of what we do when we mourn on the Kharbin is what's called Tzedek Adin. We say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you were right for what you did. You made the right choice. We accept it. We know you were right. And that's the first step we need to take because otherwise we haven't gotten the message. If we think Hashem was wrong, then, 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 then the point hasn't been made yet. Then, then, then we haven't learned anything yet. We have to come to that recognition. He was right. And what he's right means that this is justified. Not just means, oh, we deserve to get punished. No, no, no. That's not the point. That's never the point. Never, no, no point in us getting punished. The point of us getting punished is only because what we stand to gain is so much greater. And that's the recognition that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to come to. And that's, that, that's how this has such a tremendous... <clears throat> ramification on the whole avoida that we have of uh, mourning the base of Mikdash. Okay. <clears throat>